Welcome to Cornerstone. We're glad you've joined us. Today, we'll be hearing from a special guest speaker. Listen in and be encouraged as we spend some time in God's Word together. My name is Eric. It's an honor for me always, anytime I have an opportunity to stand before you as we open up God's Word together. Um, Can I introduce you to somebody this morning? Uh, I want to introduce you to Jenny and I's first grandbaby. This is my granddaughter, Delaney Quinn Fridge. Thank you. I did nothing for that. But um, this is my son, uh, Ben, and his wife, Katie. This is their first born, and she is so sweet. I thought about, you know, just passing my phone around this morning uh, so we could all look at pictures, but I thought this might be easier. We could just sit and stare at her all morning long. She's, she's sweet, right? Yeah. Hey, let's uh, begin our time together with a word of prayer. Our Father God, we um, come before you today, and Father, we admit freely we are a broken people, and sometimes we, we do things that, uh, that we shouldn't do, and sometimes we say things that we don't really mean. We end up messing up our relationships with, with family, with friends, with coworkers, and so, Father, this morning we ask that you would be with us as, as we read and as we learn from your word. Father, we ask that you would help us build binding relationships that give you honor and glory to your name. Amen. Have you ever thought about it? Relationships are kind of like cars. I mean, we're a lot better at starting them than we are fixing them when they break. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, we're quick to, to jump in our car, start it up, drive it all over town, but as soon as something begins to go wrong mechanically, um, most of us don't have a clue of, of what to do. So what I would like to do for the next couple of weeks is spend some time talking about relationships, relationships that we have with family members, um, the relationships we have with friends, coworkers, maybe even our, our neighbors. And to do this, as we talk about relationships, what I'd like to do is um, take a look at uh, a letter in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. Uh, this letter is titled Philemon. And so if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Philemon. You'll find that near the end of your Old Testament. In fact, in most of your Bibles, it's just going to be one page. It's just a short little letter that's sandwiched in between Titus and Hebrews. And um, uh, what I'd like to do with, with this uh, letter is, is spend some time talking about um, how it affects us in minds of our relationships. So this letter from, uh, written by Paul to uh, Philemon is just one of Paul's letters that he writes in the New Testament. In fact, he writes 13 of the 27 different books in the New Testament. And most of you might be thinking, well, Paul, you know, is the biggest contributor to the New Testament. Well, that's wrong. It's actually his friend and his missionary partner, uh, Dr. Luke, who actually writes the most in the New Testament. He writes the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. That was free, just in case you find yourself on Jeopardy. But... um, Luke, he writes this letter. It's a personal letter to Philemon. And um, this letter is different than all of his other letters. One, because it doesn't contain any church doctrine or really church teaching, but instead it's really more of a personal letter that gives us insight to this relationship that he has with his brothers and sisters 
in Christ. But I hope you don't let these 25 verses go unnoticed in your Bible. Because I believe that within this letter are some great tools that each one of us, we can take and we can apply them to our life. Now, as we read through this letter, Paul mentions several different people. But what I want you to do is to really just pay attention to to three different names. And the first one is the Apostle Paul. Now, many of you know that the Apostle Paul was a a church leader. Again, he writes a, a a good portion of our New Testament and um, continues to be a a great influencer throughout the early church. But you might not know that Paul didn't always um, uh, uh, encourage Christians. In fact, when Paul first comes on the scene in Acts chapter 8, Paul hated Christians. In fact, he was doing everything that he could to stop the message and the momentum of Jesus' story, so much so that he was hunting down Christians. He was throwing them in jail. He was having them beaten. He even stood by while Christians were persecuted until the day that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And forever, his life was transformed Because from that point on, Paul couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And he began going from town to town, preaching the message of Jesus Christ. And along the way, he met this man named Philemon, okay? And they become friends as he shares the gospel with him. Well, Philemon is the recipient of this letter that we're going to to read. Paul's the author. Philemon is the recipient. But there's one other name that I need you to know about, and his name is Onesimus. Onesimus, he's a runaway slave, and he's the former slave of Philemon. And that's what this letter is all about. It, it, it deals with the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus and Paul. And so what I'd like to, for us to do this morning, different than some of our, our teaching as we walk through text, what I'd like to do this morning is I would like to read this letter um, in its entirety. 25 verses, it's not too long. Um, but what I'd like to do is, is to read it as if maybe it was read for the very first time in the house church of Philemon's home. Okay, he had a house church that was meeting a bunch of believers, and he gets this letter that is sent from Paul, and it's it's carried by Onesimus. He hands him this letter. Here, this is from Paul. First time probably seeing each other. Here's what the letter says. Verse one. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also, Alphia, this is Philemon's wife, our sister, and Archippus, uh, that's their son, a fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in all my prayers because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, you have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. 
It is none other than Paul, an old man, also now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. He's talking about his son in the faith, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and me. I'm sending him, who's my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have kept him that, I could take, that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so, for the, uh, so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps uh, the reason that he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother." He's very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done any, uh, any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. One thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings. Also, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let that soak in for just a moment. You know, um, I find this story fascinating because it gives us a, a unique insight, a, a unique picture of three men who proclaim to be followers of Christ, but yet they have significant conflict between them. So here's the problem. From this letter, we know that, um, that Paul and Philemon are old friends. Now, we don't know where they met. We don't know when they met. But somewhere along Paul's missionary journeys, he, he meets Philemon and begins to share the message of Christ with him. Philemon becomes a follower of Christ. And then he goes back to his hometown, which is a, a city called Colossae. And he goes back to his hometown, and he begins to share the message and the story of Jesus. And his family and his friends become followers of Jesus also. And they start a, a, a house church in Philemon's home. And so they have a congregation that's meeting there in their home. But that's the easy part. Here's where it gets complicated. Philemon had a slave named Onesimus who was probably living in his household and serving their household. But, but one day, we're not sure what the reason was, we don't know why, but one day Onesimus, he runs away. Now understand, this was a big deal because if he was caught and, and brought back to his master, by Roman law, he could have him put to death. Okay, so this was a big deal that he was a, a runaway slave. But at some point, Onesimus, he, as he's on the run, he's introduced to the apostle Paul. Now, now this didn't just happen by chance. I mean, this is one of those divine uh, appointments. 
Because we know that Onesimus, as it says here in the text, he, he met the apostle Paul while he was in prison. Maybe in Rome, maybe in Caesarea Philippi. From, from the New Testament, Paul's writings, we know that he was in prison multiple times for multiple years. But Paul was typically under house arrest, which meant that he could still correspond with folks. He could still write to the churches that he had visited. In fact, he still had his, his missionary team that could come and visit him. He could have outside guests come in and visit him. That's what we think Onesimus is. He's an outside guest that is introduced to Paul. But, but Paul, even though he was in prison, he, he didn't stop what he knew God wanted him to do. He didn't end his assignment just because he was sitting in prison. Because Paul would tell everybody about Jesus. I mean, other prisoners, he would tell visitors, he would even tell the palace guard. I mean, read, read Philippians chapter 1. Paul was on fire. He, he didn't want to waste any time not telling other people about Jesus. But while, uh, while Onesimus is there and he's, he's building this relationship with Paul, Onesimus becomes a follower of Christ also. And then while he's there, while Paul's in prison, um, apparently Onesimus also begins to serve Paul and take care of him while he's in prison, which makes a difficult decision for Paul to do. Because now he's got to decide, does he keep Onesimus there with him and just kind of fold him into his missionary team? Or does he send Onesimus back to his former master, Philemon, to make this relationship right. He's got to make this choice. And so here's what I want to do this week and next week as we unpack the text here from this letter from, uh, to Philemon. Today I'd like to take some of the principles that Paul uses in building relationships, building relationships that last. In fact, as you read through the New Testament, you'll find that Paul has relationships with folks all along his missionary journey. I think Paul was a unique individual, and he's one of those folks that just built these long-lasting relationships with folks. And then next week, I want us to talk a little bit more specifically on what do you do when you're in a relationship that needs some fixing. Maybe you've, you've broken off a relationship with an old friend, maybe a family member, maybe a coworker that's difficult to work with. What do you do with those folks in your life that, um, th- that there's a conflict between you? So that's, that's what we're gonna do today and then next week. So as we begin looking into this text, I think it's so important for us to understand um, what's happening here at, in this culture as well as in this time. It's, it's important to understand that so you understand the mindset of the people. So in the first century, um, in the Roman Empire, it was a slave culture. In fact, it's estimated that there were as many slaves as there were Roman citizens. In fact, this is one of the reasons that the Romans set up so many laws so that if a slave ran away, there was, um, there was great punishment for that. They were worried that there would be an uprising that would bring down the Roman Empire. But during this time, all over the world, slavery was the assumption. It wasn't a social issue. Slavery was the assumption uh, because it, 
had such an economic impact that derived benefit uh, from this slave culture to establish the Roman Empire and the surrounding nations. Now, I tell you this because you need to understand the mindset of the people at this time. Because when you live in a slave culture, understand the mindset of the people is all human life is devalued. Because everyone is really just a string of bad luck away from being enslaved themselves. I mean, think about it. If you're living in a small town and maybe the, your next door neighbor, your, your, the nation next to you wants to invade your territory, you could become a slave. Ladies, if, if your husband dies, you could become a slave. If you got injured and could no longer provide for yourself, you could become a slave. If you run up your credit cards, if, if you have too much debt and can't pay it back, you might become a slave. Everyone during that first century, everyone in ancient times, they had that in the back of their mind. They potentially could become someone else's property or become a slave, which meant that most everyone in this culture at this time didn't place a very high value on human life. Now, we've talked about this before here, but in the first century, the people also had a mindset that if you had a disability in any way, that, um, that maybe it was your fault, something that you had done, or maybe something that your parents had done. Remember, we talked about this when we studied our series in the Gospel of Mark. Because poverty, illness, bad luck, these were all things that were signs in their minds that God wasn't pleased for you, pleased with you. But if you're rich, God, God's favor was clearly on you. That was the mindset of the day. And in a, slaver, in a culture of slavery, the idea of having compassion towards your fellow man was really completely unnecessary. Because the poor, they were getting what they deserved. The sick, they were getting what they deserved. Slaves, they were getting what they deserved. But the rich, well, they were getting what they deserved. But then along came a rabbi from Galilee, teaching a new way of thinking. You see, when Jesus showed up, everywhere he went, he elevated the dignity of people. He began challenging people by the way he taught. He began challenging them the way that they thought about women, about the poor, about the sick, about anyone who couldn't help themselves. He taught that in such a way that compassion was an expression of strength. And doing something for somebody who couldn't pay you back, that was a sign of virtue. Jesus began teaching for the very first time that people had value, not for their economic worth, but they had value because they were children of God. Now, understand, during this time, Jesus' teaching in the first century, it was radical. It was unheard of, which is why so many people, when they heard his message, they were drawn to him. They were captivated by him. And for the same reason, that's why so many of the rulers of the day, why they were afraid of him and why they began to plan to kill him. From the very beginning, Jesus 
began teaching about how we should treat people. In fact, there's uh, several different stories here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he begins talking. The first is in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, right now in our Adult Bible Fellowship, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus began teaching this new way of thinking. He began talking about praying for your enemies, praying for those people who hate you, But not only praying for your enemies, going out of your way to look for opportunities to do good for them, which introduced this idea of doing something good for someone even if they didn't do anything to deserve it. Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 10, and he tells a story of the good Samaritan. Samaritans were a group of people that were discriminated by the people around them. And as Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan, in this story, he actually makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. And the priest, well, he's kind of the villain of the story because Jesus is, again, teaching this new um, way of thinking. He's teaching uh, that, that really we need to redefine who our neighbor is because in the kingdom of God, your neighbor isn't just people that, that look like you and, and, and live close to you and, and talk like you and think like you. Instead, your neighbor is anyone who's in need. Jesus also taught stories in parables. In Luke chapter 15, he tells three different stories of things that are lost, a coin, a sheep, and a son. You can go back and read these this afternoon. But, but in this teaching, he was trying to get people to understand that God doesn't view sinners as someone to chase down to be punished, but instead, God views sinners as someone to chase down to recapture their attention, to show them that they have value. God chases God chases us not to pay us back for our mistakes, but instead to win us back through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus' teaching was unheard of. It, it went in direct opposition of the culture and the way of thinking of that time. Jesus went out of his way to give value to people in their society that had been discarded. But the best part about that The best part about reading this letter from Philemon is this letter is written about A.D. 60. In other words, about 30 years after the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in this letter, as we read how these three men are working out this conflict, we get to see some of the same principles that Jesus taught to resolve conflict between brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's what I want you to take away this morning. Uh, this morning, as we read through this letter, um, I hope you'll take away four different principles on how to build strong and binding relationships with other people. The first principle that I notice from Paul's letter is that he sees the value in others. Understand when um, when. When we stop seeing other people as children of God, made in his image, and equally loved by him, that's the moment that we begin to devalue other people's lives. Here's that, how's that, that happens. When you begin to notice that other people are an inconvenience to you, you are devaluing them. How does, what does that look like? 
when we lose our temper quickly, when we get short with people, when, uh, uh, when we don't give folks second chances, when we're quick to judge them, that's when we are devaluing other people. We're not seeing them as God sees them. But in this text, Paul uses a word. He uses it, we're going to translate it, partnership. But in the original Greek, Greek the word is koinonia. Koinonia is, is this word that uh, used two times in Philemon, but it's used 20 different times throughout the New Testament by multiple authors, multiple writers here. But koinonia is, uh, if you're kind of defining this word from the text that we have, is the fellowship or mutual participation of Jesus' followers, Christians, uh, that share in the equal gifts of God's grace and love. Well, what does that look like? To really think about what that looks like, you've got to understand more about Paul's writings. I think back to Philippians chapter 2, which is one of my favorite chapters. In, in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with his spirit, any tenderness and compassion, basically Paul is saying here, if you're a Christian and you receive benefit from the relationships of being a Christian, in other words, if you've been lonely and maybe the Spirit comforted you, maybe if you needed some encouragement or you were down and another brother and sister in Christ, you know, built you up, that's koinonia. He says, if you've, if, if you've experienced these things, then you need to make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. He goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. He says, each of us, we should have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. You see, Paul here, he's reminding us that in the family of God, within the body of Christ, we have to see the value in others. But he doesn't end there. Paul also understands the value of words. And that's really the second point. I think if we're going to take something away, we need to remember that we need to use words that build each other up. Now, as you read through the New Testament and you read Paul's different letters, his different writings, you'll notice that Paul, as he's writing to the churches, um, one of his greatest gifts is encouraging other people. You'll see it as he does these different shout-outs in his letters. He'll talk about individuals and the gifts that they have. He talks about how they're encouraging maybe their group or a church or whatever, and he shouts out those folks because he is working from a framework that the words that we speak, they're important. They matter. In fact, if you look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, you see it says, Paul writes this. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The words that we speak, they are important. And that's one of the things that I think that each one of us needs to do is evaluate the words and the speech that we have with our family, with our coworkers, with our friends to understand, hey, is my language really what it should be? Does my language really match my faith? Am I using my words to build others up 
or am I tearing others down by the things that I say? Paul reminds us, everyone has value, and we should use those words to build each other up. The third thing I think that Paul teaches us here is to be generous with your praise. Again, this is one of Paul's gifts. Understand that Paul is writing this this letter, and most of the letters that we read in the New Testament, he's writing those letters from prison. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I think if I was writing a letter from prison, I'd be going, woe is me. Here I am sitting in prison. It would be all about me, right? I'd be wanting, hey, come see me. Hey, come bring me some Dr. Pepper, you know, whatever. Uh, It would be all about me, but Paul doesn't do that. He, He focuses the spotlight on other people and what is happening in the kingdom of God. And I don't know why we do this, but I'm guilty of this. So often, I'll, I'll be talking to somebody, I'll think, man, they're fantastic. I mean, they're so gifted or talented, or I really like the way they do this. But you know what? Most often, I don't say that. I don't say anything to them about that. I, I don't know why it is, but for some reason, I think more often than not, we withhold those words of praise. Why do we do that? You know what it costs you? Nothing just a couple of moments, just to identify some good things that other people are doing. I've got a friend, his name is Dennis, and he, like Paul, is a master of doing this. And he does it at just unique times. And he doesn't do it just to gain favor. He doesn't do it just to puff you up. He's actually looking for unique things about people in his life. And he'll, he'll draw those out in, in what he says, and he'll say it in front of other people. Do you think I like to be around Dennis? Yeah, I, I like to be around Dennis because when I'm with him, you know, I, I just leave kind of energized. Whether he's building somebody else up or, or building me up, he's just, he's great to be around. And I think, I want to be a person like that, that, that sees the good in other people and says what, the, what he actually feels, which is such an amazing thing about the Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul, you think in first century here, I mean, Paul was a, he was a, he was kind of a rough guy. I mean, he was intelligent, he's very smart, but we also know, I mean, he's a man's man. I mean, traveled the world on foot, sometimes by sea. He was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was run out of town. People were after him all the time. He was shipwrecked, he was hungry. I mean, Paul went through it all. But yet, you wouldn't think he's, you know, real touchy-feely. But yet, Paul does not hold back from the words that he shares and the feelings that he has about his brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's one of the things that I think that we gain from reading this letter from Paul. You see a little bit of insight on that relationship. And then the fourth thing this morning is that Paul expects the best in others, and I think we should do the same. You notice here in, in this verse, in verse 21, you know, as, as Paul is making this request to his old friend to take back this this runaway slave who's, who's left him and, and pop possibly has taken something from them. He's asking him, hey, would you take him back? But as he's writing this letter, he is already expecting the best of his friend Philemon because he says, I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more 
than I've asked. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'm in conflict with someone else, many times I am, a quick, I am quick to assume the worst about that person. Maybe they've said something that hurt my feelings. Maybe they've done something that, you know, I thought was wrong to me. And, and you know, before I confront them on what that is, you know, I've already built up my argument. I've already built up what I'm going to say, you know. I, I've already thought, how am I going to tell them how much they hurt me? And very often when I get into one of those situations and I begin talking to that other person, I gain a little bit better understanding where they might just apologize before I even say anything. Or maybe as I'm talking to them about the situation, I understand there's some other circumstances. Or, or many times, oftentimes, I'm upset about nothing. It was something that they didn't realize that they had communicated or, or maybe I misheard what they said. So often we're quick to expect the worst in each other. But I believe as followers of Jesus, we should be expecting the best in others to offer that grace and that forgiveness before it's even asked. Throughout our life, each of us will be put in tough, challenging situations with friends and neighbors and coworkers. But I believe that Paul displays this wonderful example for us here in Philemon, how to lay the proper foundation in relationships that can really weather any challenges that you might face. Now, of course, the most important lesson that each of these men, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, the most important lesson that each one of them learned, it came from having a relationship with Jesus Christ, experiencing that true transformation that comes from knowing Jesus, understanding, just as Romans talks about, as God demonstrates his love for each of us, that while we were sinners, even while we're making mistakes, Christ was willing to die for us. God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross so that we can have eternal life with him. Now, just in case nobody has reminded you in a while, hell is a real place and it's reserved for those who do not accept the lordship of Jesus Christ. And just as heaven, hell is a real place, heaven is a real place as well. And it's reserved for those who are willing to surrender their life, to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and receive that free gift of love and grace. My friends, I don't um, know where you are at in your relationship with Jesus Christ today. But I would encourage you, if, if you don't know of God's free gift of love and grace in your life, I would encourage you to, to, to today to take that step to learn more about Him. Today, there's lots of folks that are sitting all around you that are experiencing a transformational life that would love to share what that relationship looks like. Maybe today you, you're thinking, I don't know a whole lot about this Apostle Paul. I don't know a whole lot about Scripture, about the Bible. Maybe I, I, I want to get to know the Bible a little bit better. Well, we can, we can help you with that. We've got lots of folks here that would love to study with you and teach you a little bit more about 
Jesus Christ. This morning you might be here and, and, and you might just be feeling the burdens of, of this life, maybe feeling lonely, maybe there's something in your life that is a little bit overwhelming and, and you just need somebody to pray with. We'd love to do any of those things for you here this morning. We just, we just got to know about it. And so I want to in, invite you that um, after we sing our, our closing song, if, if you'd like to speak to somebody, if you'd like to come down front and, and talk to us, we would love to, to get to know you, to pray with you, to walk this journey of faith each and every step of the way. Let's bow together and pray. Our Father God, we um, are so grateful for these words that um, we have written that, that give us such insight to those from the first century that knew you, that had a relationship with you. Father, for those that um, um, began to discover what it's like to no longer be burdened by the mistakes of our past, but Father, to experience the transforming love and grace that only comes from knowing you. Father, we're so thankful for the sacrifice that you made for each one of us, that it was Jesus who died on the cross so that we might have an eternal relationship with you. Father, I know that there are some today that just struggle with that. They have a lot of questions. They have a lot of fear. Father, help, help take that fear away. Don't let another day for, for anyone that is here that wants to draw closer to you, to take that step. We know that you are chasing after us. You, you create these opportunities where, where we can take a step closer, and we know that you're always taking a step closer to us. Draw us near to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for spending some time with us today. For further information about today's podcast or our church in general, please visit us at cornerstonecbc.org. That's cornerstonecbc.org. Thanks. See you next time.